Well, good morning, everybody. Today we are going to be in Genesis, primarily chapters 44 and 45. As we are wrapping up, I'm wrapping up the series today on our life of Joseph that was entitled From the Pit to the Palace. And uh, we're not going to get through the entire life of Joseph. There's going to be a couple chapters that we don't cover in this study, but we're basically we're going to come full circle today. Right? We started with his with his family kind of forsaking him, and today we're going to get to see him reunited with his family. You know, our, our journey began with Joseph's brother selling him into slavery. Then God was working on him and preparing him for the eventual reunion that they were have. And uh, last week they were reunited, but they didn't know who Joseph was. And today he's going to reveal himself to his brethren, and he's going to become reunited with his father. And uh, what a kind of an amazing journey, amazing story it has been. I hope you learned some stuff from it as we move through it. I know I've learned an awful lot, but if you think back on the past lessons, you know, I was telling Aaron this on the ride, sometimes this is difficult during the series because they all seem to have the same main theme, every one of my lessons, but I guess that's just because that's the main theme of the Bible, right? You know, God is good, God is in control, God has a plan, God was preparing him, but as I was thinking and preparing for this last lesson, I'm like, I got to thinking, you know, why did God take up 20% of the book of Genesis, or over 20%, to, to tell the story of Joseph? What makes, actually, this story so special? And the conclusion I came to kind of sums up the theme for my final lesson today, is that uh, if we want to grow closer to God, and we want to bring others to Christ with us, and be thought of as a, as a great man and woman of God and have our story told, it's primarily our attitude that does that, the way we uh, think and the way we feel. And, you know, in these situations, about the situations that are presented to us in our life, right? And the way we think and the way we feel turns into our behaviors and the relationships that we form, especially our relationship with God, you know? So just kind of as, as an illustration of how important an attitude is, imagine you have two different parents, right? One parent has a great attitude towards their kids, you know, meaning they see them as being energetic, courageous, full of potential, full of life. They embrace the chaos, you know, the rowdiness and the loudness that sometimes kid, kids can get into and has come with parenting as the little one grows and learns new things. They find joy in the milestones and with the discoveries that their kids make. And in turn, they, they focus on positive reinforcement and nurturing in the child's life. So that could be one parent. On the, on the other side, you might have a parent with a bad attitude of the views of their children. They might see their children as being loud as being obnoxious, annoying little creatures that just seem to get into their way that always disrupt their peace and quiet. They are quick to scold and criticize every mistake made by the child. They view the children as burdens rather than blessings. And, you know, they have no patience, no empathy for them. Can you imagine how those relationships between the parent and those child are going to be different as that child grows older? The parent with a good attitude is going to have a good, loving relationship with their child. They will have a strong bond that is built on trust and understanding, and it's going to be tough to break. While the parent with the bad attitude is going to have a strained or a negative relationship with their child, they miss out on some precious moments and experiences that they could have shared with their child. They create feelings of resentment, and these are hard to overcome. You know, in our spiritual life, God is our Father, and, and praise Him that He is the parent that has that good attitude towards us, that He is patient and He's willing with us. And He's going to create that strong bond and a lifelong love between us and Him. You know, and since we were made in his image, Ephesians 5, uh, 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye thereof the followers of God as dear children. So we are called to be like God, to be like our Father. Well, we know we'll never accomplish this on our own. We're not going to be able to make that on our own, have that same attitude. But when we get, we surrender ourselves to Jesus and we let the Holy Spirit come live inside of us, right? He's, he's going to guide us into that attitude, that having that good, godly attitude. And Joseph, he's our example on how we should behave when we have that kind of attitude. Those things I spoke about before, how, how God is in control, God has a plan, God was with them, you know, it's easy for us to see in there because we knew how the story was going to end. We could read forward two or three chapters and then look back and say, hey, yeah, God was in control there. God knew what was going on. But while it was happening, imagine how Joseph must have felt. He couldn't see the future. He didn't know what God had in store for him. But the way Joseph behaved through his actions, we could see that the attitude that he had kept throughout his entire life. You know, we see him act out the words that were written thousands of years after his death. Words that teach us what kind of attitude that we should have. You know, like Proverbs chapter 3, 5 through 6, it reads, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct his paths. Right? Joseph knew that. He was trusting in God. He was letting God lead his footsteps. But through Joseph's behavior, we see Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem himself better, let esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of other. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, Joseph had that Christ-like attitude. He had the mind to serve others, to do, make his life a tribute to God so that others' lives could be better. Right? He had a Christ-like attitude like we might find in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So Joseph was not working trying to get his own glory. Everything he did, he was doing for the glory of God. He was putting God first in everything as he was serving others, as he was letting God direct his path. You know, but that's not all why he did it. He wasn't doing it for a reward. In fact, he couldn't see the reward. We don't do it for the reward. When we have the correct attitude, we're doing it to glorify God, to give him the credit. As Jesus spoke in Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So that's why we do our good works. It's not to get our glory, not to bring praise upon ourselves, not to say, hey, look how good I am. It is to glorify God our Father. And Joseph sure did let his light shine before men. And it made a major difference in the lives of many, many people. So kind of keep these verses we've talked about in mind as we study through chapters 44 and 45 of Genesis today. And we talk about having a Christ-like attitude. You know, we're going to see three different things, my three main points here. We're going to see how that Christ-like attitude is created or how it was changed in the Joseph's brothers, how they came to have that kind of attitude. We're going to see in the life of his father Israel how he had the attitude, then he kind of lost it for a little bit, and then it was continued in his life through Joseph. And then at the end, we're going to realize, Joseph is going to realize that his constant good attitude, how God used it to fulfill his plan. So that way we know that, you know, we don't need to get weary in well-doing, that there is an end goal to having this great kind of attitude. So first, let's look at the, the changed attitude or the, kind of the created good attitude of the brothers. All right, so where we pick up in our story here, 
Joseph's brothers had returned a second time, right? They came and they had gotten some food. Joseph had sent them back and said, hey, the next time you come back, you better bring Benjamin with them. When he sent them back, he also sent back their money with them. Made them a little scared. You remember that from our, our last lesson. So they brought that money back with them, too. And they confessed what they had done wrong to Joseph directly. But Joseph, he still had one more test for them that he's going to pull out here in chapter 44. And this test was needed because one could argue that the brothers behaved just the way they did. They brought Benjamin back. They brought that money back. Not because they had a changed heart, not because they had repented of anything, but they were doing it for their own good, right? They were starving again. They needed food. Maybe it was in their own self-interest. And I know, I'm sure you've seen it at some point in your life or with someone, or maybe you've done it in your life, you know, someone admits to you that they're sorry or admits that they're wrong, or maybe you've done it. I know I've done it back when I was with my parents, admit that I'm wrong just to get out of the trouble, just to avoid the situation that I'm currently in without any real repentance coming to hand, right? Something to benefit ourselves. So Joseph wanted to make sure that that's not what his brothers were doing there, that they just weren't admitting their wrongs, kind of repenting, just because they needed Joseph to get them more food in the future, right? So we had to test them one more time to find out if their repentance was true. What were they going to do if they were given the opportunity to save themselves at the cost of a brother that had been the father's favorite? You know, kind of like they had to, Kind of like they did to him, right? When they weren't facing punishment or in, of any type, would they turn on Benjamin? Would they lie to their father? Or had they truly repented? Had they really had a change of heart and a change of attitude? So let's start off reading here in Genesis 44, right through verses 1 through 13 to start with. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, and the men were sent away, they and their asses, and when they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is it not... Is it not this in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake these words, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then shall we steal out of the Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be the Lord's bondsmen. And he said, Now also let it be, according unto your words, he with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched, and began at the eldest, and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes, and laid it every man his ass, and they returned to the city. So we see Joseph's plan here, right? He took a silver cup, a cup that was important to him, and he put it there in Benjamin's sack. You know, and after we all left, he sent one of his stewards, one of his guards. He said, all right, now go chase him down and open him up. Don't let him get all the way home this time, and then they'll discover. Let's stop him along the way, right? And when they stopped him, man, those brothers, they were adamant that they had did nothing wrong. What does it say? In verse 9, they said, With whomsoever thy servants it be found, 
Both let him die, and we will also be the Lord's bondmen. Man, they were confident. They're like, no, we did not do this. We're so confident that whoever you find it in, you know, go ahead and kill that person, and the rest of us, we'll just be your slaves, right? I kind of find it kind of, it amuses me what was said next, though, in, uh, in verse 10. How does, how does the steward kind of respond to him? He says, well, let it be done as you say. All right, I agree with you. Let's do it that way. But then he immediately switched up the terms on him. And he said, yeah, we're going to do the, let's do it that way. With whom he is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be all blameless. So he said, yeah, we're going to do it your way, but, but whoever we find it, and you know, I'll take it back to be the servant. And the rest of you, we're not going to blame you at all. We're just only going to punish the one that we found it in. So then he started opening the sacks from the youngest to the oldest. And when, the other, when they found that cup in Benjamin's sack, now these brothers, they had a way out now. When the steward just said, we're going to punish the one that we find it in. The rest of you, we're going to consider blameless. His brothers, they could have, at that point in time, they could have said, oh, sorry, Benjamin. Can't believe you took that cup. You know, we're going to take this food. We're going to head on back to dad in the land of Canaan. And, you know, I guess, I guess you got to go back with them. Right? But they were uh, brothers first behaved in a way, right? And I talked about attitude. It's our thinkings and our feelings that leads to our behavior. Well, they behaved in a way here that showed that, that their attitude had started to change a little bit. They were showing some love towards their brother because what they didn't say, sorry, Benjamin, you got to go back. We're going to head on home without you. No, they rent their clothes. They started mourning. They hopped on their asses, and they went straight back to Egypt with him. Right? They didn't leave him hung out to dry. So there was kind of Joseph's kind of first clue that the brothers had began to change, begun to change their attitude. But the test, it, it, Joseph didn't finish it right there. He kept it going just a little bit longer. Let's continue reading here in chapter 44, verses 14 through 17. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is that ye have done? Won't ye not that I, such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found, in, found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand this cup is found shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. So they bring all the brothers back there, right? It's, Jude, it's Judah. The one that kind of steps up. He takes the lead here. And he's going to speak unto uh, Joseph. And his words here really kind of show that his heart has changed. Right? This is the same Judah that back in chapter 37, when they were throwing Joseph into the pit, they said, well, we just don't need to kill him. Let's not let our bloods be on his hand. You know, let's go ahead and sell him off into slavery. He had no care for his brother there. In chapter 38 of Genesis, right, this is the same Judah that had slept with the, the harlot that turned out to be the, ex, the wife of his dead sons, right? He wasn't that great of a man. He wasn't the one that you would think would kind of step up and take charge here. But he's not just saying, he's not just saying we don't need the blood on our hands this time, right? This time he has a different tune, right? He's showing repentance. He's showing, he's admitting their guilt, right? He just didn't melt their guilt of Joseph. He didn't just say, hey, we sinned against Joseph. We sinned against his children. He said, no, God had found out. We have sinned before God. Judah was confessing 
and having some true repentance here. He was admitting to God that they have sinned, and that is our first step towards repentance when we want to get things right. We not only have to admit to the people that we've done wrong, we have to admit that we had done it wrong before God. However, though, still not enough, though, because Joseph needed more than words, right? He's not God, Joseph was. He can't tell that if their hearts have changed right now. As I said there kind of the beginning, sometimes people just say what you want them to say just so they're not going to get in any trouble. So remember that Jesus said, let your good deeds shine before men so that God may be glorified. Joseph, not being God, is going to need to see some good deeds. So he gave him another chance. He gave Judah another chance here to do good or to do evil. He gives him another out. Because he says, God forbid, you know, that I should do this. But the man in whose cup is found, he shall be my servant. As for you, get up and go in peace to your father. He's like, no, I, got, I have no problem with you, Judah. You didn't do anything wrong. It was Benjamin. It was that young man. We found the cup in his sack. He's the one that's got to pay the price here. You guys going back to your father. The rest of you go out and go. Go in peace. I got no issue with you. But Judah responded to this with, with an impassioned speech. Okay, one of the most passionate pleas, I believe, is in the Bible here, coming from men, right? And actions that were going to back up his words. Let's read the rest of chapter 44. And then Judah came near unto him. And said, O oh my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant. For thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass that when we came unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then, we'll not, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons, and the one went out for me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if you take this also from me, and my mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, Seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he seeth that the lad is not with us that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father. Say, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father. So here Judah recounted in front of Joseph the whole story. Right? The whole story of the first time when he told Benjamin to come, how Jacob reacted and how sorrowful he was, and how he said, you know, I'm just going to die if I don't see my son again. And then he began to show how his attitude had changed. Right? What did Judah say? He said, take me. Take me instead of that boy. Yes. Right? For how shall I return to my father without him? 
He will have evil come upon him, and he will die. He was demonstrating the strongest love that there is out there, right? What did Jesus say in John 15, 13? He says, greater love hath no man than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. Judah had developed a Christ-like attitude. He was willing to become a substitute for the boy, just in the same way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ became a substitute for all mankind. He was willing to lay down his life for his brother and father, just as Jesus had done for us. It is the ultimate show of love. It is the ultimate sacrifice, a complete change of attitude. Jesus, Judah had taken upon that Christ-like attitude, and he had finally proven to Joseph that he had changed. You know, it wasn't just his words. It was his actions that made Judah burst into tears. I mean, made Joseph burst into tears, right? Joseph couldn't refrain himself. Because we read here, moving on to, on to uh, chapter 45, verses 1 through 3. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brother could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. You know, Joseph, he couldn't hold it back anymore. He had to tell him who he were. He had tears of joy flowing, and his brothers stood there. Joseph said, they were troubled by his presence. Boy, they were in a little bit of fear now, probably. A little bit of awe. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. That the boy that they had sold into slavery, the one that they had rejected, was now standing in front of them, was being their savior, was being kind to them, was being gentle to them. You know, when we have a change of attitude the way that Judah does, and we put our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the substitutionary work that he did for us upon the cross, he's going to reveal himself to us also, right? We have to have that personal meeting with Christ. I listened to a lot of Scott Pauley, and the other day he was talking about it. He says every believer has to have this personal encounter with Christ, their own experience, where they meet him, where they come face-to-face with him, where they get to know him one-on-one. And I know from my experience, I've had that personal meeting with Christ. And when you're done, you are in awe, in fear. You're trembling. It's something you're never going to forget. You're going to be just like Joseph's brothers here. You're going to stand there and you're going to be trembling in the almighty power of God that had humbled himself to cleanse himself or to cleanse us of our sins. Our thoughts and our actions, they now become Christ-like because of him. Not because we've done something great to change ourselves, but because of that fear, because of it all and what he's done for us. He indwells in us and we become new. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, especially our attitude. We've now gone from having kind of a bad worldly attitude to having a good Christ-like attitude and a love for other people and a care for others the way Christ cared for us. However, attitude doesn't always stick around in our lives. right? It can come and go. As time passes, sometimes the things of this world, they can start to wear on us. You know, Sometimes instead of asking God and staying in our scripture and, and praying with God and staying filled with the Spirit, we start to rely on ourselves. We start to rely on other people for our happiness. Or maybe we start to feel sorry for ourselves. We start to just drift away from God slowly, right? It doesn't mean that God has forgot about us. And it doesn't mean that we can't get that correct attitude 
back into our lives. Which brings me to my second point, right? Sometimes we just got to make ourselves continue in that attitude once we paused it. We can get back into it. We can see the continuation of Israel's God-like attitude. Remember how I kind of said everybody had to have their own personal meeting with God? Well, Jacob had that. If you have your Bible, flip back to, to Genesis 28. And this was a point where, you know, Jacob had just tricked his father Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. Right? Esau was furious. Esau wanted to slay Jacob for taking his blessing. So, so Jacob's mother, Rebekah, said, well, we need to get him out of here. So he convinced Isaac, and they were sending him off to the land of Canaan to find a wife. And he was on that road. And then let's read what happened when he was on that trip. In Genesis 28, we're going to start off in verse 11. And he, speaking of Jacob, lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, the God of Isaac, the land of whom whereon thou liest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. And I will bring thee again into the land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken thee of. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep. And he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid. And he said, How dreadful is this place. There is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So here we see that personal interaction. Jacob had it. He had that one-on-one -on -one meeting with God. He, it's the way God came to him as a dream, same way God comes and speaks to our hearts today, not through a dream. right? And how did, how did Jacob react to it? You notice there, right? He was trembling. He was afraid. He was in awe of the mighty power of God. He's like, surely I'm in God's. This place is, this is the place of the Lord. This is God's house, and I knew it not. And he had that godly fear that you're going to get when you have your face-to-face -face meeting with the Lord. And at that point in time, you know, Jacob had an attitude change as well. If you drop down to verse 20 in this, and it said, Jacob bowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again into my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. Right? So he there, he just, he gave himself to Christ right then and there. Give himself to the Lord God. Right? After his meeting, his attitude has changed. And if we keep reading on through the story here, right? He goes on, Jacob does to serve his father Laban, right? Where he gets tricked into having Leah and Rebekah as his wife. And as we're reading through the stories, you know, he's always seems to be, he's always talking to God. He's always praying. He's asking God for guidance. In chapter 35, we read of God talking to him, talking to Jacob again, you know, telling him to go to the same place, to go to Bethel, to build an altar there. But that's the last time we hear God talk to Jacob, again, until chapter 46. Because what happens there at the end of chapter 35? His wife Rebecca dies. 
giving birth to Benjamin. When we get to chapter 37, Joseph is, you know, his son Joseph disappears. He gets sold into slavery, and he gets told that he's, he's dead, that he's eaten up by animals. Do we see Israel, Jacob, turning to God at this point and saying, why, God? Do we see him reaching out to God, saying, God, help me here? I don't know what's going on. No. Do we see Israel keeping faith? The faith in the God that had just promised him, you know, just so that I got great things for you and that your seed is going to take this land and you're going to become a great nation. No, we start to see an Israel that feels sorry for himself. One that starts to rely on his own, quits relying on God to protect him and his family and starts to rely on his own strength. He thinks he has to protect Benjamin. He starts to wallow in his own self-pity and sadness. You know, we saw that last week and when we just recounted the story, right? He's like, you can't take my son from me or else I'm going to die. He's not trusting in God anymore. He's starting to develop a bad attitude. He's went from having the good attitude of trusting God to having a bad. God had not left Israel. No, Israel had left God at that point in time. His thoughts and his feelings were not on the things of God. His actions reflected those thoughts and feelings. The way he behaved was because he wasn't going to God. He'd had a bad attitude. But you know what? That attitude was about to change again because he was about to be reunited with Joseph. So back over in chapter 45, let's kind of pick it up here. After Israel's had this bad attitude, we're going to skip forward in chapter 45 over to verse 17. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beast, and go, get, go you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me. And I will give you the good of all the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat of the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the way. To all of them he gave each man a change of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner, ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt and ten she-asses laden with corn, bread, and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See ye not fall out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came unto the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told them, saying, Joseph is yet alive. And he is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. So the brothers brought that good news back to their father. Right? Your son, the one that you thought is dead, he is alive. He's not only alive, he's doing great things. He's second in all of Egypt. He's only under Pharaoh. He was the man in charge of all our corn. But notice the immediate reaction of Israel here. His attitude really hasn't changed yet because his heart fainted. He didn't believe them. You know, if we think back when chapter 37, when he got delivered the news that Joseph had been taken and eaten by wild beasts, he didn't question them. He didn't say, no, that's not true. Let's go look for him. No, he immediately accepted that bad news. But here he got some good news, and his heart didn't want to hear it. 
He didn't want to believe it. Isn't that how we are sometimes too? We easily accept that bad news, but it's hard for us to accept some good news that comes into our lives. It wasn't until that he saw all the wagons, and they told him the story again, then he saw all the goods and all the stuff that Joseph had sent with him that he came to believe. And then you can see kind of an almost an immediate change of attitude once he did start to believe that his son was alive. Let's go back to Genesis 42 here, right? We can see a change in his attitude just by the way that he's speaking. In Genesis 42, Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, speaking of Benjamin, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief be fallen by the way in which ye go, then you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Here you see sadness. You see sorrow. You see someone with no hope just waiting for something bad to happen. Something to send him to the grave. Compare that to the last verse that we just read there in chapter 45, in verse 28. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Here you kind of see he's perked up. He's got some joy. He's got some happiness. He's got something to live for. He's got a purpose in life. It's a stark contrast in attitude. An attitude that's going to change his actions, right? Because what's the first thing he does now, right after this? He goes to talk to God. He's finally going to converse with God again once his attitude has changed, once his heart has changed. Because we see, starting off in chapter 46 of Genesis, and Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Israel came back. Jacob came back looking for God. And, and God was right there for him. God was right there ready to answer him. God didn't chastise him. God didn't say, why have you been gone so long? How come whenever these bad things were happening, why did you turn from me? No, God didn't lay any of that on him. God told him, don't have any fear. I'm right here with you. I've been right here with you all along. Go ahead and go to Egypt, and I'm going to keep that promise that I made to you. If your attitude to God, towards God has changed for some reason, don't be afraid to go back to him. Don't think what you did is going to make him not want to come back to you because he's never left you. Repent, turn, talk to Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit fear you up once again. Whatever caused your attitude to change, whatever caused you to go astray, God's not going to hold that against you the way he didn't hold it against Israel here. He welcomes you with open arms and wants you to continue on with a great godly attitude. He wants you to be renewed the way Israel was renewed here. So now that we've seen how a, how a godly or a Christ-like attitude kind of gets created, we've seen that if we lose the attitude, we can get it back. Now let's look at the final point of the morning, that if we have a consistent, constant good attitude, we are going to fulfill God's purpose in our life. Throughout this study, we've seen the ups and downs in the lives of Joseph. As I mentioned in the opening, right, it's easy for us to look back on this story and say God had a plan because we knew the ending. But if we were living in real time, would we be able to keep that Christ-like attitude of Joseph? If we were sold into slavery and we had to go, and then, you know, we got bought up and we had to work for our master and we worked our way up, then we got falsely accused, then got put into prison, would we continue to serve others if God gave us a great gift like being able to interpret dreams? Would we use that to glorify God or would we use it for our own self-interest? 
right? In all these situations, we've seen Joseph behave in the correct way because of his attitude towards God, because he kept the right mindset, because Joseph sought his face and God was with him. As it is written in James 4, 8, you know, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Now God's purpose is finally going to be revealed to Joseph. So we're in chapter 45. We're going to flip back a little bit in just there. Starting off in verse 4. And Joseph came unto his brethren. Right after he revealed himself, he said, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and a lord over all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph's telling his brothers, God did this, not you. It's okay. There's no animosity. There's no hatred. There's not even a little hint of resentment in his statements towards his brothers here. He even tells his brothers, you need to forgive yourselves. Don't be angry with yourselves here. I'm going to continue to take care of you. Everything is going to be good because this is what God's plan was. It wasn't what you intended when you said, let's throw him in the pit to die. Judah, when you spoke up and said, you know, let's just sell him into slavery, this wasn't what you thought was going to happen. This wasn't your plan for me. Heck, this, this wasn't even my plan when I was suffering through slavery, when I was sitting in the prison, Joseph said. But he's really now, this is God's plan, and what a glorious God we have. He sent me here for this purpose. What an example of Christ-like attitude throughout his life. What amazing faith Joseph carried. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Joseph wasn't seeing what is going on. He didn't know what was going to happen. But Joseph continued to serve. He continued to trust, have a great attitude to fulfill his plan. And this pleased God. And Joseph finally saw the reward. He saw what came after. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Joseph and his family were greatly rewarded as they were able to live in the land of Goshen, they were able to grow in number, grow in, in cattle, and they were blessed all the days of their lives. And Joseph, he kept that good attitude all the days of his life, up until his death, as evidenced in the last book of Genesis, in chapter 50, because after, after Israel passes away, his brothers begin to think, well, maybe now, maybe, just maybe now, Joseph is going to take his revenge out on us. And we read probably the most famous words, the most well-known verses that comes from Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as is this day, to save much people alive. Joseph kept that attitude his whole life. So in conclusion here, thank you for taking this journey with me through the life of Joseph for these past six weeks. Um, I've learned a lot. I hope they've been encouraging, and I hope you've learned a lot through it too. And uh, probably the most important lesson I hope you pull from this series as we look at the life of Joseph, it's not about Joseph. It's a story about God, a story about Jesus. This is a gospel story. This is a story of unworthy men 
living in an ungodly way who needed a Savior. And God provided that Savior. God prepared that Savior, and he put it out them for them all. The story of Joseph is truly the story of the Jesus that would come thousands of years later. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the story. Thank you for the story of Joseph and how you let us know, God, that no matter what we're going through, you're always there with us. You're always in control, Lord, and you always have a plan for us. I desire that everyone in this room keeps a good Christ-like attitude, a godly attitude, and that if, if someone's starting to slip or fall, God, they examine their hearts and, say, and they start talking to you, Lord, and say, God, I want to come back. I want to have that relationship with you. I want to get to know you better. I want to get back into your good graces. I want to have this great attitude again. Lord, as we get ready to move into this morning's services, I pray that your spirit stays with us this morning. Lord, fill everyone in this church as we worship you. Be with uh, Pastor Brooks as he brings our morning message. And as always, we give glory and honor to your name. Amen.